This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Praise the Lord. Okay, so Hebrews chapter 12, we're finishing off on just this part of being a prophetic people. And um, I think for, for all of us, uh, when we look at what's happening in the world, I don't know if you've been following some of the stuff there out of Australia with Israel Falau, and there's a lot of, there's almost a, a bit of a divide coming in the church uh, as to who is standing for Christ and who's standing for the word and people that are just starting to compromise because there's a wave, especially in the West, um, that is flooding and uh, almost like an in, intimidation coming against the normal Christian. Um, for the truth and what is the truth and you know what is what is new and what is old but the amazing thing is God hasn't changed and his word hasn't changed his word will never change and uh, we can change the the methods of how we do stuff so maybe you know people come more to a church that would like have a band and and not an oral anymore or stuff like that people there's a lot of methods that can change but the message should never change and therefore, the gospel is good news, but it starts with repentance. It starts with the fact that God doesn't change and God is good. God is faithful. We change. We go through stuff. We go through challenging seasons in our lives. We sometimes get disillusioned with church and with people because they're also going to hurt us. People are imperfect. So if you are new to the church here yeah, and the Lord is really adding a lot of people this last year, especially older people. But I want to tell you, this is an imperfect church because they are imperfect people yeah? <laughs> There are people all, the reason why we come to church is because we all need Jesus and we need the word. We need to be changed. Okay, so make a peace with that, that this is an imperfect church. And, um, and so, so we, we cannot live our expectation through other people because then we're going to, we're going to get hurt. But we can have community and say this is a place where we grow together and this is a place where we are prophetic. Now prophetic, when we talk about the basic things of prophetic that we spoke about last week, it's not, it's not jumping up and down and say, oh, I'm prophesying, it's, I'm prophesying. The in essence of the prophetic is to encourage, to exhort, and to comfort. So a prophetic people is a people that realize their brokenness and their imperfection and they realize there's a perfect God and we're all growing together. Uh, we're all learning through humility and through being teachable that, that God is taking us and he's taking the church as a whole um, to prepare us. And as we prepare ourselves in that way also for the coming of Christ. And so um, it, it's, it's a challenge. I remember a couple of years, almost five years ago when I, I became like the senior pastor, I don't like titles, so please don't call me pastor or senior this, or, or um, the other day, the, one guy made a joke and said supreme leader, and I was just laughing. I thought like, who's he talking about? But in any case, okay? So, so here we just see us and Louise and, and Eugene, because I don't call you engineer Peter, you know? I don't... Uh, but, but if you're not comfortable with that, at least if you don't talk to me, say, Wim, because I'm under 25. Okay, I, I discovered that this weekend again, there on the winter camp. But um, I remember five years ago, you know, coming the leader and being the leader and take, 
sort of almost like being handed the responsibility of the church here. It wasn't, it wasn't the best um, environment because some people have left and there were lots of issues and things. It felt to me literally like I was sitting in a boat, climbing into a boat, and there were 20 holes in the boat and I had 10 fingers. Yeah? So I thought like, this boat is going to sink. But for the first time in my life, I realized that it's God's boat, and if God is in the boat, the boat won't sink. <laughs> and, and, and that's when you come to that realization in your life that the church actually belongs to the Lord. It's not yours. <laughs> it's not mine. You know? Unfortunately, a lot of people today sit outside of church because they, they take their own hurt, and then they, you know, they're actually sometimes mostly offended towards God, but then they, the best thing is like, hey, just take it out on people close by because that's the easiest to do, you know, just blame somebody. But then there's, there's opportunities, there's such a great opportunity for you to grow closer to God, even through the tough times in your life, but we, we want to run away. <laughs> and I was, I was talking to a, a guy this, this week that just come out of a terrible house situation and he's, he's still a student. And I'm um, not going to give too much detail because of confidentiality, but, but he just told me every time he just wants to run away. And then he came to the realization that the problem isn't with the church. The problem actually lies in his own heart. And that's the moment that everything started to change. And so I want to read to us and continue with what we've been talking about and talking this morning about strengthen yourself in the Lord. How do we strengthen ourselves in God? Okay? And it's this well-known scripture, Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 1 to 15, I'm going to read all 15 verses, because here in the middle is a part that we normally want to skip, okay? He says, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. I must just tell you, I just touched my, my ear, and I did this course one day. I don't know if you ever did like these courses where you like, you know, where they talk about public speaking and all of that stuff, you know? And, and then the guy said this. They, he said two things they'll never forget. He said, the first thing he said is, if people sit like this, then they normally don't receive from you, okay? And if people sit like this, you know, then they're normally very critical. They're very, they're the teacher-orientated people, but they're sorting you out. Now, everybody that goes like that, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then he said, if people touch their nose while they talk, it means they're lying, okay? If they talk their ear, if they touch their ear, then it means like they, they, they're clueless of what they're actually doing. So I just touched my ear and then these thoughts came up like, oh, you, no, no, I'm not clueless. I know exactly where we're going, okay? Because it's the word of God. But it's amazing how people talk these things sometimes and you think like, oh, yeah, you know? And then sometimes people are just cold. That's why they sit like this, okay? Because everybody that sat like this went like this now. <laughs> okay, but in any case, that's nothing, got nothing to do with the sermon. I was just thinking of touching my ear. No, I touched the other one. So there Therefore, we also, listen to this, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnare us, and let us run with endurance the race that he set before us. And how should we run? We should look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Joke, we can almost spend three hours just on these first three verses. He says, when you run, run the race with a specific thing, a specific attitude. And that attitude 
should be like you realize like you you are running the race we are running the race at the moment there were lots of people before us that were running the race they're not running the race anymore the people running coming they not you know they they still need to run their own race but you are running a race and and if when how you run this race yeah is there's a finish line there's there's a eternity that you're going towards but he says when you run cast off certain things take away the weights because there's a lot of weights that can so weigh you down in this life there's also sins they ensnare you they trap you they keep you back like if you are like a spider's web you know it's the it it keeps you back from actually doing from that little mosquito flying through you know it will keep you back it's like it will ensnare you but he says when you run, there's this cloud of witnesses. There's a momentum, and that's what I so loved about this song, the goodness, the faithfulness of God, feeding on the faithfulness of God, realizing God is faithful. There's been so many people, and not just us sitting here this morning, there are millions of Christians, some of them under great, great pressure and persecution in the world. Most of the church today is suffering great, great persecution for their faith, and they're running the race. But when you run it, and you've, you've taken off these bags of cement, this heavy stuff that sometimes the distractions, there's a lot of distractions. I think one of our biggest problems to run the race here in Stellenbosch and in our environment is the many options we have. The comfort, the, hey, just to lose that hunger or that urgency for God. But the, the writer here in Hebrews 12, now remember, it's in the center of him starting to have a massive argument. Now, if you, if you look through the book of Hebrews, it's an amazing book. It talks about a lot of things. And he starts with chapter 1. And he says, you know, in the last days, God has spoken through many things. But he's finally spoken through his son, Jesus Christ. The final revelation of God is Jesus. And so the whole argument of this book, and we normally catch on here to chapter 11, you know, we all know verse 1, you know, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And it goes on to verse 6, you know, without faith it is impossible to please God. And then he mentions all these massive groups of people that have been coming, Noah and Abram, the fathers of faith, and the, the people that really set the standard for us through the Old Testament. And then chapter 12, where we are at, um, that's where he jumps in. But he, but he starts the book with saying, the final revelation is Jesus. I get scared sometimes when people just come and they prophesy every time and say, oh, God is going to do a new thing. Well, Scripture says, actually, there's nothing new under the sun. If we look at even the environment and what's happening and all the issues and all the gender issues and all the stuff around us, you know, there, there are so many stuff, but it's not new. Societies have come and societies have gone. Philosophical societies, the Roman empires, all the empires have gone and they've fallen. There's only one kingdom that is remaining. It's the kingdom of God. And it's a kingdom that cannot be shaken, you know. So sometimes we want to be thrown by the stuff that happens around us. But I've got good news for you. There's one kingdom that is remaining and it will keep on standing and forever. And that's why the final revelation of God for mankind is his son. The, 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 the Hebrew word actually for that final revelation is like a, a, a seal. You know, you had a letter in the old times and the king would put his seal, a specific stamp. You would wax it in. 
there'll be a letter and you'll wax it at the end and then there'll be the seal of the king on that stamp. And that is sort of like the picture it has for God's revelation towards mankind. So we get into trouble as Christians when we lose focus of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. When you and I begin to drift away and we start to focus on all the isms and the things around God, whether it's like, hey, the prosperity gospel or this, this theological doctrine or this thing that I hang on to, hang on to Jesus. He is the final revelation. And, and, and I would refer to it many times, but you know what? The first couple of million years in heaven, we're going to stand there like, I think there's one word that's going to be so on our lips. It's the name of Jesus. But the second word is going to be the word wow. I really think that. Wow. Wow. You know, Stephen Lunga's wife says, you know, when she went, she died, and then she saw a picture of heaven, I think for 48 hours, the only word she said in the hospital bed was wow. She said when she come, came back, she was not allowed to say a lot. The first thing she said, there were three things. I actually tried to remember the third one. I forgot the third one. But the first one was, like, I tell my people that they're too distracted on their cell phones. The second one was she saw people in heaven, and she didn't see people in heaven that she really thought was going to be there. Big preachers, she said. They were not there. But the one word she said while she was in the semi-coma was, wow. They actually had to bind her, you know, her hands to the hospital bed because she would pluck out all the stuff, all the stuff that was in her body because she would go like, wow. She wanted to cover her face all the time by just saying, wow, wow. She said, there were colors in heaven that doesn't exist on the earth. Now, I'm colorblind. Hallelujah. I'm looking forward to that day. (laughs) So I'm going to see extra colors more than you (laughs) because there's some of them I don't see here. But so in any case, so... So he starts in chapter 1 with this final revelation is Jesus Christ. The moment when you lose your wow about what Jesus has done on the cross, you're in trouble. We will be worshipping him as the lamb that was slain for millions and millions of years. The moment when we lose the joy of our salvation, the moment when we get so distracted, and this is what the writer says, he says, all these clouds of witnesses, and now he's, he argued from chapter 2 onwards about the sacrificial systems, and there was this whole argument with the Jews, like where does you know, Moses and the law fit in, and the angels, and chapter 2 he goes on and he talks about, hey, no, Moses and mankind, where God's revelation is, and he, and he argues about all these stuff that has been happening in the Old Testament, and the sacrificial stuff, the the high priest, there's a lot of themes that runs through the book of Hebrews. So we normally jump in here at chapter 11, like I said, about faith, you know. And that's why it says, now faith. Chapter 11 starts with, now faith is the substance of things hopeful. But that's where we start. And we shouldn't start there. We should read the first 10 chapters. <laughs> because it says, now, after we've discussed all these things. And you should start with chapter 1, because that's the most important. And so here in chapter 12, he sort of now turns the whole argument back to what he started with in chapter 1. And he says, therefore, therefore, he said, chapter 11 says, now faith is, 
This is what faith is. And he says, therefore, if you understand what faith is, if you understand what the revelation of Jesus is, that everything, the whole universe is around that revelation of what Christ has come to do. He says, now in chapter 12, he says, therefore, therefore, since, therefore, we also, since. So, so let's read the Bible in context. And, the, and, and now he's sort of encouraging us. <laughs> and and, and the, the first part is great. Run, he says, take, throw off the weights, the cast off these things. And, and he says, run, look to Jesus. He says, look to him because he's the author and the finisher of your faith. Isn't it amazing? There's a book being written about your faith. He's the author of it and he's finished that book. You can't finish anything and you can't add to it. Just read the book and do it. Huh? He's the author and the finisher of our faith. Wow, but Lord, shouldn't I compete and shouldn't I perform and what, what, where's my willpower and all that stuff? The Lord has already written the book. Just walk in it. Read the book and just do it, okay? But it says when you run and you've done all the stuff, look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who, for with a specific way, attitude, it said the joy that was set before him. He despised the shame. He went to sit at the right hand of God. And then he says, now consider, you and I, as we're running this race, you have to regularly consider him who endured such hostility, such persecution. Sometimes one of the biggest things we neglect to see from the cross is the surrendering of Jesus' will. That's where the cross starts. We normally talk about all the pain and the suffering, and it was immensely tense. That's why the word excruciating means out of X, out of the cross. It's the most painful way a person, a human being can die. It's the crucifixion. But something happened before that, that moment in that garden of Gethsemane, under that tree when Jesus was shed, shedding blood, sweating blood. And there's one prayer, he says, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. At the essence of us coming to the cross means a surrendering of your will, a surrendering of your own power. And when we just preach a moral gospel, what we do is we tell people, just become a good person. So just try harder to be a good Christian. And we should always start first with repentance and re just bring your will, bring your heart. I mean, not my will, but your will be done. Your will cannot achieve the things of God. Your goodness cannot achieve the things of God. That's why there's grace. Grace is an enablement of God's power to do his will. And so he says here in verse 3 at the end, he says, Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. So, so when you run, you have to look because if you get distracted, if you look at something else, if you look at the witnesses or you look at the things of the world, there's a lot of stuff you can look to, but then you're going to get discouraged. You're going you're to become weary, and a lot of people become weary because we just try to be stronger Christians, and then sometimes we tell people perform more and do more and do that stuff, you know, and that's the culture that we grow in. Well, we should actually just tell people surrender more, surrender more, surrender more. But if you use the word surrender to most people, most people just say, I haven't got a clue how to do that. Anyone in that club? <laughs> yeah, it's difficult to surrender. 
But now listen, here he goes on, and this is the tough part, verse 4 onwards. He says, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. So now he begins to talk about this prophetic, one of these words that we saw is edification, exhortation, and comfort. He says, you've forgotten the exhortation, because when God is going to deal with us, he's going to deal with us like sons. He says, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we had had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more really readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now you can almost read through that part and miss it completely. <laughs> you know, I, I like what um, Stephen said once, you know, sometimes, especially in some African cultures, it just, it works just much better. You know, we have an individualistic survival of the fittest type of culture. Everyone just fights for themselves. But, you know, he said one of the groups or the tribes he came from is they, everyone would be part of the disciplining process in this community. So if, they, if everyone sat under the tree, all the elders would sit under the tree there in Malawi, and then if the kids would walk by, you were not allowed to walk by that tree unless you came to greet the elders. And if you were naughty, some of the elders would spank you there, you know. <laughs> you someone knew you got a hiding there or you got corrected there. And it was just a tribal thing. But no issues, no, it's not personal, you know. But these days we are so oversensitive and, uh, ooh, you know, the, this is saying this and this is saying that, you know. But there's not a... Not a freedom. And the scripture says, well, if God loves you, he's going to discipline you sometimes. It's something we don't want to hear. Now, there's obviously a part of that where some people say, no, God wants to discipline me by letting me suffer sickness or disease. And that's not true. Because God, in essence, is good. But God is sometimes going to be silent in your life. When you start to bug him and you pray about something and he's not going to answer you. That's part of his discipline sometimes. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share. Sing.